I don't know where I lost Mr. I, I lost it somewhere. <laughs> I'm just Toad. So yeah. I, I just became Toad. Yeah. And he said, Toad, that pencil was the only gift I got. Wow. Thank you. Boom. Yeah. Talk about an emotional punch in the throat. Yep. From that moment on, I've never stopped that because it's good for kids. Yeah. And that card, that paper that we give them might be the only thing that they get. That's and, right. And I hear that every year. It's the only thing because we need to celebrate life because of day of life. Welcome to the Mission Driven Podcast, the show designed to empower, educate, and encourage you to stay focused and committed to your mission. I'm your host, AC Cristales. Let's get ready to roll. Welcome back to Mission Driven with AC Cristales. I hope you guys have had a great 2020 so far. And I hope that you've enjoyed the first two podcasts of 2020. The first one was The Future Is Yours. The second one was the interview with Josh Tovar, principal at Socorro High School in El Paso, Texas. For this week, I have another interview with Dr. Adam Science. Guys, you're going to enjoy this interview. So here we go. I don't want to waste more time. Enjoy. Welcome to the Mission Driven Podcast with AC Cristales. Today, I have the honor of interviewing author of the best-selling book, The Power of a Teacher, and also the developer of the Educator Assessment of Social and Emotional Learning, which is a measure of personality and emotional intelligence that is central to the work and curriculum associated with his new book, The EQ Intervention, Shaping a Self-Aware Generation Through Social and Emotional Learning. He currently serves as the clinical director of the Oakwood Collaborative, the counseling and assessment clinic he founded in 2003. Without further ado, allow me to introduce to you Dr. Adam Science. All right. There's a little good intro, man. How's it going? Good, good. You doing all right today? Yes, sir. I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. How about yourself? Good, good. All right. So I want to uh, do something before we before we get into the meat of the interview. So kind of just to break the ice a little bit, I want to go ahead and uh, ask you 30 seconds worth of questions, right? And just answer the questions. And when the timer goes off, we'll go ahead and stop. All right, just to kind of, okay. like I said, just to break the ice a little bit. So let me go ahead and set up the timer, 30 seconds. And here it goes. Dogs or cats? Uh, dogs. Favorite movie? Oh, crap. Um... Favorite movie? Uh, I can't say. I don't know. Okay. Favorite sports team? Spurs. Coffee or tea? Coffee. One place you want to travel to? Um, I'd like to go back to England. Okay. Best concert you've ever been to? Uh, probably Kiss when I was 13. Okay, very good. You know what's funny? Okay, let me go ahead and stop the timer real quick. <laughs> so uh, I did an interview yesterday with... Uh, with principal with the principal from uh, El Paso, Texas, and he mm -hmm. also said Kiss too. So Kiss must put on a rocking concert, man. Oh, they do. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Very good, man. Thank you so much for doing that. All right, so let's go ahead and just get started. Uh, go ahead and just sure. tell the listeners a little bit about you, you know your family, your education, your background. Okay. Um, well, let's see. I. Um, I grew up in the valley down in South Texas and, um, you know, a single parent family and uh, got into a lot of trouble. And, um, you know, um, when I was 12, uh, um, my mom, um, she knew something needed to change. Uh, I was I got arrested for possession and things just didn't look good for me. So um, 
she uh, she gave up custody, and I went to live with a family in um, in Katy, Texas, okay. several hundred miles away from where I grew up, and um, and I did pretty well uh, when I was at Katy. I, I had some really amazing teachers that um, uh, took me under their wing and and made sure that I had everything I needed to be successful. So I graduated from high school, Katy High School, um, in the '80s. Uh, but after I graduated from high school, that's when the bottom fell out. You know, I was on my own struggling to make it. I was working as a dishwasher and, um, you know, I, I just didn't really have much. I didn't have family. I didn't have money. I didn't have a place to live really. Um, I was sleeping on the floor of, uh, somebody's, uh, garage apartment. And, uh, that was probably the low point for me. I was uh, using drugs again. I was struggling with mental illness, depression, and anxiety. And, uh, you know, I found a couple of letters that uh, two of my teachers wrote to me at Katy High School my senior year uh, that expressed a lot of confidence in me. And those letters really were the beginning of a, of a series of changes for me. I, I, um, I took to heart what they said. You know, they, they expressed hope for my future. And um, I just stepped out and I thought, man, if, if these two ladies could believe in me, maybe there's something there. And so I signed up for one class at UTSA, University of Texas at San Antonio. Okay. I thought, there's no way I'm going to pass it. You know, uh, I was surprised that they even let me take it. Um, but I took it and I passed it. And so then I thought, well, maybe I'll take another class. Mm -hmm. And then I took one that spring and I passed it. And I kept going back, you know, and then um, just before I turned 27 years old, I, I graduated with my undergraduate degree in English. And... Um, by then, I started to rethink who I was, uh, and I, I could see myself as more than just a, a troubled kid from the valley. I could see myself as having potential and maybe being something in life. And um, I love school, and so I, I stayed and got my master's degree and then eventually got my Ph.D. in psychology. Um, and uh, now I work as a psychologist, licensed psychologist, and a licensed specialist in school psychology. Um, work in schools. I have a clinic here in Bryan College Station, and I work uh, with uh, Texas A&M University as well. So I do a lot of things as a psychologist. But that was it. You know, I, I, a kid that grew up in, in a home that you wouldn't expect uh, a lot of academic achievement from, but um, I had teachers that uh, changed the world for me. So it's awesome. So do you, do you, can you recall, um, you know, some of the things that were said in that, in that letter? And I know there are personal letters to you, but you know, I'm intrigued, you know, you know, what really stood out to you from, from those letters? Well, what stood out to me was that they were, um, they were a sharp contrast to the messages that I had internalized. So what I mean by that is, um, you know, I had always grown up hearing, you know, uh, you're a troubled kid, you're never going to amount to much, you know, kids like you never make it. Um, and I, I had embraced that identity for myself. You know, I, I just thought I'm a loser and I'm never going to make it. But those teachers, their letters said, you're amazing. You're talented. You're intelligent. You have potential. We expect to hear great things. And it was just such a sharp contrast to, to the message that I had received growing up that it, um, those two, were, those two things were at odds. They were fighting with each other. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, it, it forced me to, to, um, to a fork in the road, either those women were right or I was right. <laughs> I like know? that. I like that. Very yeah. Good. And, um, I chose to give myself permission 
not even to believe that they were right, but just to be open to the possibility that maybe they were right, you know? Yeah, for sure. And so I said, well, maybe they're right. Let me, let me take one college course. And, and when I fail that, then I can prove they were wrong and I can, I was right, you know, mm -hmm. but, uh, but I passed the course, you know, and I thought, Oh man, I don't know, man, man. <laughs> let me take another one, you know, well, so I took another course. Yeah. The rest is history. What course was it? I'm, I'm just curious. You know, I, I teach sociology at a community college. So I was just like, what, what course was it? It, it was uh, English. It was introduction to English and they were both English teachers, you know? Okay. And, um, and, and I thought, you know, this is cool because English was always my favorite subject in high school. And I thought, man, if I have any hope of passing a college course, it's gotta be English. Cause I love it, you know? And I ended up getting my undergraduate degree in English, mm -hmm. uh, because of those teachers and, um, my love for the subject. That's awesome. And so I was just thinking yeah. about in terms of, you know, the, the things that they were saying to you, right. You know, so again, I teach sociology and one of the things that we talk about in terms of just, you know, actualization of self, right. Just becoming who you are right. and your self image or your self concept. So what I thought about as you were talking about was, um, Cooley's uh, looking glass self theory, right. So where you right. use others as mirrors, right. So there you had, you had these teachers telling you, Hey, Adam, you know, this is what I see in you. And even if you don't see it in yourself, this is what I see in you. And I like yeah. what you said. It was up to you to determine, okay, what am I going to believe? Because I have yeah. this other mirror, right? I have my family telling me this. I have, you know, whoever else telling me this, but yet I have these two teachers telling me this. So that's, that's pretty good, man. Yeah, absolutely. It, it boils down to us as individuals um, deciding which mirror we're going to look at, mm -hmm. you know? For sure. For sure. Yeah. So, the title of this podcast is the mission driven podcast, you know, and the reason why I titled it that is because I believe that we all have a God given mission. We all have a God given purpose. So yeah. in terms of your life's mission, you know, how does that align to the work that you do as a psychologist and as a speaker mm -hmm. and everything else that you do? Yeah. Well, my life's mission is to empower other individuals with emotional intelligence. That's essentially what psychologists do. Um, when I think back to my childhood, um, my problem wasn't drugs, although I did drugs. My problem wasn't that I was an academic failure, although I was failing academically. My core problem was that I had thoughts and feelings that I didn't know what to do with. And I used drugs to escape those thoughts and feelings. And those thoughts and feelings kept me from reaching my academic potential. But that was the core problem was what I was thinking and feeling and not knowing how to how to regulate it. Okay. Or in other words, a lack of emotional intelligence. Um, and um, looking back, I, I thought, you know, I mean, as, as tough as those years were, it wouldn't have taken much to get me on the right track early on. You know, if I had just had an adult that could have model and you know back when i was a kid you you didn't go to counselors you didn't tell anybody that you had depression exactly. or you know i mean there, there was so much stigma i mean there still is but back then man never mm -hmm. never for never sure. and even if you did it's like well so what are you gonna do about it it's like it's not like you have money for a therapist yeah, right and if you right. did have money for a therapist you couldn't find one you know exactly. so anyway all of that i look back to my childhood and, and and my problem was i just didn't have anybody teach me how to understand my thoughts and control them and how to understand my emotions and how to control them. So, so that's what I do now as an adult is, is I work with kids. I work with adults. I work with athletes, executives, teachers, educators, training them to understand themselves, to regulate themselves and to be, uh, to find peak performance in whatever they're doing. 
That's awesome, man. And also, you yeah. know, there's that cultural aspect as well, right? Because you talk about, okay, even if even if we do have, you know, mental issues and we need counseling, you know, if we come from low socioeconomic homes, right? Or we come right. from homes where, you know, it's kind of like, okay, you're not supposed to, you're, you're a man, right? You're Latino, you're a Latino male. You're not supposed to act that way. Yeah. Or I remember, you know, I, this is a quick, funny story. I remember I got hurt playing football my seventh grade year. And no lie, my mom was like, well, you know, we don't have any money, so I don't know what you're going to do. You know, here's some vapor rub. There you go, like, rub it on your elbow, man, because, I mean, <laughs> hey, there's no money. So it, so think about it in terms of, you know, you're having yeah. these, these, these mental you know, images, you're yeah. struggling with your mentality, you're struggling with image, everything yeah. that adolescents struggle with, right? Yeah. And, and what are we going to do? Sorry. What do you, you know, and the thing about it is looking back, I remember getting kicked out of school because we didn't even have money for me to get a haircut. Okay. And, and, and I got too long and it violated the dress code. So they kicked me out, but I couldn't afford a haircut, you know? So if you can't afford a haircut, man, you damn sure can't afford counseling. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Very good, man. So I want to talk a little bit about, let me pull up the question talk a little bit about your book. So um, what inspired you to write your new book, The EQ Intervention, Shaping a Self-Aware Generation Through Social and Emotional Learning? Well, it's, uh, you know, I worked in schools, I've been in school since the late 90s, you know, and um, the way that we have been taught to to work with students is through what's called, I'm sure you're familiar with this, behavioral psychology. Mm -hmm. And that is essentially... um, you find all the carrots that you can find to motivate behaviors and you find all the sticks you can find, right? So you, you appeal to the student's sense of pleasure and pain and, and you shape their behavior. And, and that's basically what we use in schools. And it worked 50 years ago, mm-hmm. right? You know, this thing about, I'm going to send you to the office. Oh, no, miss, don't, please yeah. don't, right? I mean, back then it worked, you mm-hmm. know, when, when, when in 1953, 1954. Yeah. Um, or, or, you know, I'll reward you and I'll give you a sticker on your sticker chart. Oh, okay, great, miss. Thank you. You know, but man, are you kidding me? The kids not, they don't care about sticker charts. They don't send me to the office. You know, like one kid told me, tell me, man, last time y'all expelled me, my mom picked me up. I got to go to McDonald's. I got ice cream. I got to go home and watch cartoons. So it was a paid vacation and go for it. Right. So all of that is to say that the, the, um, what worked even 20 years ago isn't working anymore. Mm-hmm. So the question is, well, what works now? It's relationships. We're, we're beginning to understand that, that human relationships are at the core of learning and, and emotional intelligence is at the core of relationships. So the book is about that. It's about saying, look, let's keep the, the sticks. Let's keep the carrots. Let's keep the behavioral psychology. I'm not saying we need to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying we need more tools in the toolbox and emotional intelligence or social emotional learning is, is that tool. Okay. Very good. Thank you so much. So yeah. in terms of, um, you know, you always, you always talk about, I remember I, I read this article. So it was this writer and he was talking about, they asked him a question, you know, whenever you hit a writer's block, um, why do you think that's the case? And he's like, well, because I haven't done enough research. I haven't read enough, you know, because the best writers are readers, right? So yeah, what is absolutely. what inspired you? Not what inspired everybody I said, I'm sorry. What books, articles, or research studies influenced you the most for this book? Um, you know, a big uh, major work would be um, John Goldman wrote a book in the 90s uh, on emotional intelligence. And um, that was really the first book that brought the idea of emotional intelligence to the forefront back in the 90s. Um, and then there's been a lot of really compelling research done um, by this organization called 
the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. So C-A-S-E-L, CASEL. Okay. And they're out of uh, um, uh, Chicago, I believe. Um, and they've done, and this work goes back to, to the Yale Child Study Center back in the 60s, looking at this idea of um, when we build relationships with students and empower them with skills, emotional skills, does it work? And the data overwhelmingly show that absolutely uh, it impacts their behavior, but most importantly, they learn better. Mm -hmm. Kids who are more emotionally intelligent are better learners. Um, so, yeah, I would say those are some, you know, John Goldman's work back in, in the 90s and then all of the work that's come out of the, 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 the collaborative uh, of academic, social, emotional learning, um, just compelling research that, that tells us this is a good thing to do. OK, I like what you just said right now about, you know, a student being emotional intelligent. So the more emotional intelligent he is, he or she is, the more better they perform academically and yeah. just behavior wise. Yeah. So would you mind just quickly explaining um, to the listener what emotional intelligence looks like? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, emotional intelligence is different than cognitive intelligence. Yeah. So IQ is, you know, like you take a test and it, tell, it gives you a number, you know, a hundred is an average score on an IQ test. You know, it's about 70% of the population is going to score between 90 and 110, right? And um, on these standardized tests. And IQ is fairly stable over time. You know, you're either below average, average, or above average, and that's pretty consistent. But emotional intelligence um, can vary. You can, you can score higher and higher and higher in your abilities. It's a skill, basically. So what it is, it, it's, um, there are five core components to emotional intelligence. Number one is self-awareness. And that is, what am I thinking and what am I feeling? The second part is self-regulation. Once I figure out what I'm thinking and feeling, how do I control it and contain it appropriately and express it appropriately? Uh, then the third one is empathy. And that is, what are you thinking and feel? How can I tell what you're thinking and feeling based on what your face looks like and the words that you're using and how your, your words sound to me? Then the fourth thing is, how can I connect with you through social skills, right? And the last thing is effective decision-making. So the way that works across the board is, let me be aware of myself. Let me be aware of my thoughts and my feelings and let me control it so that I can be centered. Once I'm centered, then I can have empathy for you and I can know what you're thinking and feeling. And once I know what you're thinking and feeling, I can connect with you and build a relationship with you through social skills and you and I can work together to make good decisions. And, and that's how we get to peak performance in anything that we're doing. That's awesome, man. So I know this wasn't one of the questions I, I sent you out, you know, before preparing for this, uh, for this interview, yeah. but... Where do you think most schools are failing with regards to, you know, the, the five, you know, um, aspects of EQ? Yeah, I'll be real honest. I think where schools are failing is they're not empowering teachers. You know, I, I just my, my heart goes out to teachers because I just feel like they get blamed for so much. And 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 <clears throat> if you're not in education, you, it, it's just hard to appreciate how incredibly demanding that calling is, you know? And, and man, I, I would invite anybody that has a critical word that's not an educator, that has a critical word for, for the teacher, hey, dude, go go substitute teach for a semester and then see what's up, exactly. right? And then let's see what you have to say about those, those overpaid babysitters, right? So I think where the school system fails at large is they're, they're not serving the teachers, right? Because I think that 
the best intervention for every student is a healthy adult. It's oh, a healthy good. adult standing in front of the classroom, living out their calling with passion and purpose, right? So in the big picture, where, where the school system fails is they're not honoring the social and emotional needs of, of the educator. Um, when, when, you, when you feed the teachers, all the kids benefit from that. That's good. That's right. And it's, yeah. it's, it's tough to, uh, to lead others when you can't even lead yourself at times, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and I, I want teachers to be to be pouring out from a full cup, not yeah. not not running on fumes, you know. Yeah. And and there's a lot of research that that says that the best SEL programs, the best social emotional learning programs in schools, they start with adult SEL, you know. And I always say, like, you can't teach trigonometry unless you know trigonometry, exactly. right? And and <laughs> don't try to teach me trig if you can't even balance your checkbook, right? Because you don't have the skills. And the same thing is true with social emotional learning. You know, if if uh, if I'm overwhelmed as an adult working with kids and I'm screaming at them and cussing at them and and shaming them and blaming them, I I, I can't teach them emotional intelligence. You know, I've got to be able to know myself and regulate myself as an adult, and then I can have the platform to teach that to kids. For sure, that's some great knowledge right there, man. Because you know, you think about like you said, you've done work. Um, in schools and, you know, you're doing some work at the, the university level as well. And you think about, I've had the privilege to do, you know, I've taught elementary, I was a bilingual teacher. And then my administrative work as a, as an assistant principal was at the middle school level. And, I, and then now, I'm, you know, teaching, you know, higher ed, but man, you know, what, what I see is, you know, your enthusiasm, right? The enthusiasm that you bring as a, as a professor, as a teacher, as an educator, the, yeah. the love, the passion that's contagious. So you talk mm -hmm. about that, right? So imagine, if you're not right emotionally as, as an educator and then yeah. you go into a classroom, like they're going to pick up on that quickly. So I love Absolutely. what you said. You know, we have to serve our teachers better. We have to provide that, that, that environment where they feel empowered and Hey, I'm here for you. And maybe you're having a rough day. Maybe you're going through something at home because Hey, that happens, right? We go through, through situations in tough times, but how can I pour into you so you can pour into our kids? So that's great, man. Yeah. I love hearing that. Absolutely. For sure. All right. So the next question then again, pull it up. All right. So which phrase or section of the book are you most proud of? You know, I, the, the part I'm most proud of is the, um, you, you, you mentioned this in the, the introduction, but the, the easel E A S E L, which is the online assessment that we have. Uh, you know, I, I worked with my colleagues at, at Texas A&M and the college of education because you know, remember those those different aspects of, of emotional intelligence, self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy. Um, we thought those are things that we can measure. You know, those are very measurable things. And what we can measure, we can grow. Okay. So we thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if, if we if we created a, a test, you know, a psychologist that measured those things that we can use to track growth in adults? So we did, you know, we, we created this online assessment that measures those things. And we have teachers go online, they take our test. We get the results and we use that data to, to create a, a growth plan for them of self-awareness, uh, stress management, self-care. Um, and, and we always tell teachers, you know, I tell them, not only do you have permission, but you have a mandate to love yourself as well as you love everybody else around you. Be good to yourself, man. Be good to yourself. So that that assessment I'm, I'm super proud of because um, I just think it, it, it's such a great tool to help teachers and to do what they do. Okay. Awesome. Very good. Thank you so much. Yeah. 
What about what information did you have to edit out of the book? See, a lot of people, they, they don't they don't really understand if they've never written a book. You know, they think, OK, everything that I write is going to make it. But sometimes, you know, it's like making a movie, right? It hits the cutting room floor. So what is something that you had to edit out of the book? Well, you know, <clears throat> what's cool about the book is that so I, I've written three books. Um, the first book was The Power of a Teacher. The second book was Relationships That Work. And then this is my third book, The EQ Intervention. So The Power of a Teacher, I self-published it. Um, and so what's good about it is that, um, I had total control. Everything I wanted was in the book. What's bad about it is that, um, <laughs> looking back, there's just a lot of cosmetic things about the book that I'm like, uh, you know, I kind of cringe at, you know, because it, it wasn't as professional as it could have been, you know? Yeah. So then with my second book, I went with a publisher. Uh, it was Routledge Publishing. It's a pretty big publishing house. And the book itself is really well polished, but they did that. They made me take some things out that I thought needed to stay in. So mm -hmm. this book was, I used, it's called a hybrid publisher, um, Greenleaf uh, out of Austin, the Greenleaf book, uh, book group. And um, what was cool about that was I got the best of both worlds. Um, I got to keep everything in the book that I wanted, um, but they took that content and, and made it look very polished and clean and professional. So, um, so I feel really good about the book because it covers everything that I wanted it to cover. I didn't have to cut anything out. Um, and it, there's no compromising on the, the aesthetic quality of the, the book itself. So that's good. So I'm pretty much, pretty much the, the message that you wanted, you know, to yeah, came out yeah, and they just cleaned it up. Right. Yep. Okay. That's yep. good. And that's, you know, my brother and I, we wrote a book about four years ago and, you know, we, you know, self-published, but we had an editor. You know, and it, okay. so when we got the editor and we read the final draft, you know, after he, yeah. you know, we're like, okay, yeah, he, he got us and he made it sound a lot better. So it's like, yeah, man. definitely. Isn't it, isn't it weird? Like, it's not until you've written a book that like once you write a book and have it published, you every time you pick up a book, you see it through a different lens. You know, you, 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 you realize what, what goes into it, you know, yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and it blows me away to think of like. Think about the guys that, that wrote books before they were even typewriters and they were literally like handwriting that, you know, I mean, that, that's exactly old. that's exactly. Do you, do you do that or do you because, uh, you know, at first I would write on my spiral. And then my brother was like, because, again, we co we co-authored the book and he was like, dude, uh -huh. he's like, come on, man, you're, you're doing double the work. Like just use. And I, I, I don't know. I was so used to just yeah. writing like, you know, like I was doing when I was in high school, just writing on a piece of yeah. paper. So now yeah. I'm, I'm more, you know, using on my laptop. But what about you? In terms of I'm, I'm straight to a word processor. I, okay. I open up a word document and I start typing away, you know, but I, I know some guys that have written books and um, <clears throat> they, um, they talk it right. So they'll, they'll have all their questions and they'll just start, they'll put it in a dictaphone and they'll send the file, the audio file to somebody to transcribe it. And then they get the document, the word document back. And then they just send that to the editor and okay. um, it's, it's a pretty quick way to make a book. There you go. I may have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what was one of the most surprising things you learned about in writing this book? Uh, surprising things I learned. Um, you know, I think really what surprised me was um, social emotional learning is a, is a, is a kind of a, a catchphrase right now. It's yeah. like the hot topic in education. Exactly. And I didn't know it was when I started writing the book, you know, I, I, st I, I started the document um, the summer of 2018 was when I started writing and, and social emotional learning 
it was sort of coming up, but I, I didn't know that it was going to be like the the topic that it's been. So I think I'm, I'm surprised that the topic has taken the forefront that it has. I'm, I'm pleased, you know, that there's a there's a great audience, but I didn't I didn't realize that my book would be published coinciding with the topic itself being, you know, taking forefront in education. So why do you think it, it, it's hit that tipping point? Because I'm, I'm thinking about Gladwell right now, right? Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point. So there was yeah. something that made it come to the forefront. What do you think that was? Violence. School oh, really? violence. School violence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah. we're figuring out, like I said before, <clears throat> when we look at kids that are that, like the aggressive, and when I say violence, I'm not just talking about gun shootings. I'm talking about like um, cyberbullying. I'm talking about, you know, all of that, the microaggressions, all of that stuff. We're figuring out that, um, that again, sticks and carrots, you, that's not how to treat that. You know, it, it's through relationships. And so I think in education, we're really beginning to see like, oh, we've got we've to be able to connect with these kids if we really want to shape their behavior, you know, um, and we need to be social emotional learning is how we're going to do that. So I think people are beginning to, to connect the dots, you know, and I started on this topic um, probably in 2005, 2006, you know, this was after Columbine. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, and, and I first started writing about it um, way back then, 15 years ago. And man, nobody, people are like, why are you writing about this, man? This isn't what we do in schools and we're about science and STEM and, you know, all of that. And then, then what happened was Red Lake and, and uh, Newton um, in Connecticut and then the Virginia Tech and then Santa Fe and then Parkland and all these shootings uh, over time people finally began to get the message like, oh, we, we need to be doing pro-social training with kids. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to be teaching them how to regulate their thoughts and how to regulate their emotions in ways that are that are healthy so they don't have to resort to violence to express their emotions. For sure. And, uh, you know, but, as, you, as you say that, I'm, I'm thinking, so I'm currently reading this book called The Social Animal by uh, David Brooks. And in it, the part, one of the parts that really stood out to me was, you know, we, we send our kids to, to schools and it's about preparing them to pass subjects like, you know, math and, you know, biology, whatever, but we don't prepare them for the important decisions of life. You know, who, yeah. who you're going to marry, you know, how to yeah, treat others, absolutely. you know, just the real, the real things about life. So I was like, that stood out to me, man. And as you were talking yeah. about that, it, it's so true. You know, there's, it's like, we're missing the whole point of education. And I get, I get, you know, learning math and I get learning biology, but man, there's that hard aspect as well. Right. And that's Absolutely. what we're missing. Yeah. And, and there's 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 more and more compelling research that's showing that um, the professionals who are most successful in their whatever the field is, whether it's math, science, arts, whatever it is, the ones that are most successful are not the ones that have the hard skills or the ones that have the soft skills, mm -hmm. you know, for sure. Very so good. it's a win win. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Thank you. Yeah. OK, so let me pull it up. All right. So in your words, you know, let's say you have the power, right, to change education. Right. But in your in your own words, what, what should education from kindergarten to higher ed look like? I, I would say balanced, you know, okay. is, is the word that comes to mind. Um, so we're balancing hard skills with soft skills. You know, we're 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 aggressively pursuing the instruction of technology, sciences, you know, um, and we're aggressively pursuing um relationship skills, social skills, self-awareness, self-regulation, stress management. Um, that's, that would be my thing. I don't, I don't think we have to have one or the other. Okay. You know, I, I'd love to see both done very, very well. For sure. Definitely. 
All right. Yeah. So, and, and again, back to what I said before, uh, giving ourselves permission um, as an as an institution to honor um, the adults and and um, meet their needs as well. That's good. I, I like that yeah. you share that because it, it's so important, right? It's, it, it's about the people who who are in the forefront. And so many times, you know, we're, we're putting so many demands on them that it's like, yeah. we got to figure out, hey, are you okay first? You know, because if you're right. not okay, you're not going to be able to take care of our kids, yeah. you know? So. No. Definitely. Yep. All right. So your book comes out in two weeks, right? Yeah, something like that. Just uh, the 20th? 21st. 21st. Okay. So three weeks. All right. All right. Yeah. Almost there, man. So, yeah. so where, can people, where can people purchase your book? Just go to Amazon and and uh, you can search it by my name, Adam Signs, or just search it by title, The EQ Intervention. And um, yeah, it, it's it's up now for, for pre-sale and then it officially goes on sale uh, January 21st. All right. Very good. Also, where can people get more information about you, you know, perhaps about, you know, you coming out, working with our school districts, working with our schools? Yeah, I'd love that. Um, you can go to my website. Um, it, it used to be my name, adamsigns.com. That will forward to our new website, which is uh, appliedeqgroup.com. Okay. Will you mind telling the listeners what Applied EQ Group is? Well, we are, uh, you know, it's, it's the clinicians that I've been working with in our clinic. See, we have 25 uh, clinician, mental health providers in my clinic in College Station. But even with 25 people, we realize, man, that we get 15, 20 calls a day of, for, for families that are wanting therapy for their kids, you know, and we just can't see everybody and, and it breaks our heart, you know. So we started thinking, about, like, what if we could empower educators to, to, um, to meet kids' needs in the classroom? Um, so we formed the Applied EQ Group, and, and that's the, the branch of our clinic that works with schools, training teachers to, to provide these emotional intelligence solutions to students. And and we tell educators all the time, we're, we're not trying to turn you into a, a mental health professional, you know, but th the thing is, you don't have to be a thoracic surgeon to perform CPR mm -hmm. and CPR can save a person's life. Mm -hmm. and, and you don't have to be a licensed psychologist to provide basic mental health intervention in a classroom, you know, and sometimes just the basic mental health first aid, basic social emotional learning literally can save a kid's life, you know, it could be the difference makers. And so that's what we want to empower educators with. Okay. That's awesome. And I, and yeah. just allow me, I want to ask this question. Uh, that's the thing. So many times, you know, in education, you know, especially me as a principal, I saw this, you know, every, every August they're like, what's, what's the new thing, right? So you have Avid and you have, you know, Marzano's, you know, best practices, whatever. And so my, my fear, right, with, with this whole SEO, like you said, it's, it's hit the tipping point. Like everybody's talking about it. You know, you go on yeah. teacher Twitter, you know, everybody has an opinion about it. And so, you know, how do we make sure, I mean, what would you, you know, just suggest to educators as they're looking for information? How would you make sure that, hey, you weed out the, the fluff, right? You weed out the stuff that's really not SEO. Because again, what we don't want is just for it to be just another program, just another band-aid. Yeah. We want it to be, hey, this is what we do on a, on a daily basis. It is not, we don't just do it because it's a program. We do it because we know it's going to benefit us and it's going to benefit our kids. Yeah. Well, it's it, it, like with anything, it, it boils down to leaders. You know, yeah. what, what does the district level leader value? What does the campus level leader value? And what does the classroom level leader value? 
you know, and so I would say in, in the best case scenario, you have a, a, a district level leader that values social and emotional learning and is willing to make a long-term commitment to it. Um, but even if the district level leader does not, say the superintendent doesn't, um, at a campus level, the, the principal can say, well, on this campus, we value it. And so we're going to make a commitment. And, and so then you, you make your difference at a campus level. And even if at a campus level, if, if the principal's not, not down with SEL, doesn't value it, then at a classroom level, the teacher says, in my classroom, we're going to honor and respect each other. We're going to love each other and serve each other, right? So I would say to anybody working in education, ask yourself, where do I have power? You know, where do I have power? And, and let me exercise my power in my realm of authority. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. Because that's what I do yeah. with my college students. I was just thinking about that. I even got goosebumps as you said that. You know, yeah. I tell my students, you know, we, we put them in groups and cooperative learning, pairs, whatever, triads. And afterwards, I'll right. say, hey, thank your partner. I say, because in my classroom, we practice kindness. So oh, that's and, awesome. And, and that's yeah. what it's about, right? You know, just, hey, yeah, just teaching them that, hey, we, that quick, just say thank you to your partner. And at first, you know, these 19, 20 year old college students are kind of like looking at each other like, no, in this classroom, we practice kindness. So that's, that's awesome, awesome, man. man. Really I good. love it. Hey, Adam, thank you so much, man, for, for this is my first video interview, man. So I hope I hope it went well, man. So, <laughs> I'm honored, man. Yeah, man. No, I'm, I'm, honored. I'm, I'm honored and privileged that you gave me the opportunity to interview you. you great knowledge, great information. And I wish you the best, um, you know, with your book and in 2020. I wish you the best, man, for Applied EQ Group and all that. Yeah. Hope, hope to see you somewhere, you know, maybe we'll run into each other somewhere. Absolutely, you know? brother. All right. Well, thanks again. And I uh, appreciate you. You know, happy yeah. new year to you and your family. God bless. And hey, uh, thank you again. Okay. Take care, brother. Appreciate, Appreciate you. Bye-bye. About wraps up another episode of Mission Driven with AC Cristales. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Dr. Adam Sines. As a reminder, you can purchase his new book, The EQ Intervention, Shaping a Self-Aware Generation Through Social and Emotional Learning on Amazon.com. Also, if you want more information about Dr. Adam Sines, you can go to AppliedEQGroup.com. Let me say that again, AppliedEQGroup.com to receive more information about what Dr. Adam Sons does. Powerful, powerful work. So guys, again, I just want to thank you for tuning in to Mission Driven. I want to thank you for your support. And as always, if you're listening on Spotify, make sure you hit that follow button. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're listening on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel. In fact, last week, I released my full keynote speech that I did at the AMIT conference in San Antonio, Texas. So the full keynote is up. Make sure you watch it. Make sure you like it. Make sure you comment. Make sure you share it with your friends, your other educators. And just let's keep spreading this message about living a mission-driven life. All right, guys. Well, as always, the mission is now. So remain mission-driven. Until next time, faith, hope, love.